Hi, welcome to the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast, where every week I do a deep dive into the strategies and mindset behind launching, scaling, and leading a high-impact nonprofit. I'm your host, Rick Ritchie Babbage. Working to make the world a more just and beautiful place is messy, complex, heart-wrenching, and ultimately deeply joyful and fulfilling work. And none of us can do it alone. That's why I started this podcast, this mastermind community, to hold space for and share the learnings and the questions and the grapplings and the actual concrete strategies that allow us to move our social impact work forward together. So welcome to the mastermind. I'm so glad you're here. So there's this fear that keeps almost every executive director of a growing nonprofit that I have ever met up at night. It's this little voice in their heads. And I remember this from when I was the ED of a growing nonprofit that says something like, even if we get this new grant, when it's time to hire, how am I going to pay the salary of a new person? How many people can I hire? How exactly are we going to expand this program? Everything turns on this question. How am I actually going to fund this growth that we're doing? Where am I going to keep finding the money? Keep finding the money, not just find, keep finding the money to insert, pay my staff, cover our programs, offer the benefits that I want my team to have. As we grow, won't this just keep getting harder? Right? That's this little voice that's in the heads of so many organizational leaders. And so this week, I want to talk about a framework that I use to attract millions of dollars into my organization. And I use that word attract on purpose. I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes. And it's the framework that I actually teach inside my growth accelerator program, which I'll also talk about. For me, this strategy really marked the shift in my own relationship to fundraising. And I really think it led in large part to my hitting my very first million dollar budget. Now, I mentioned that I was going to talk about my accelerator program. I have opened the doors to the next level nonprofit accelerator for spring enrollment this week. I'm super excited about this. It's a really great program. I talked two episodes ago about why I started it. I really found that growing from six to seven figures, you know, the sort of 400,000 or 600,000 to that first million was a really unique period of growth in the organization that I was growing in the life of my organization. And as I have worked with hundreds of organizational leaders and really sort of done a deep dive researching this nonprofit growth phase or life cycle framework or idea, these, this idea that nonprofits go through different stages of development, which makes sense like any organism, this growth from six to seven figures is actually a unique period of growth in the life of an organization. And it can feel really fraught and heavy and confusing. The things that you did before and that were working, at least keeping you afloat, have just stopped working. And it can feel a little bit like walking through a dark forest blindfolded with little spiky things sticking out that you're trying to avoid. 
but it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to feel overwhelming. So if you're ready to scale and you'd like my eyes on the inside of your organization so that you're not throwing spaghetti against the wall or staying up at night worrying about how you're going to fund your growth, you can apply at richiebabbage.com backslash next level nonprofit. And I'll send you more information and we can chat and we'll see if we are a good fit to work together. Okay, if we're honest, most of us talk about fundraising as if we're running after or chasing down new funding. We have to go out and find and land new funders and new donors. We research and identify and think of ways to set up meetings. We're constantly brainstorming people and funders we know, people they know. It can be really exhausting. And there's so much effort and friction involved in that conceptualization of fundraising, that orientation to fundraising. Even thinking about it can be exhausting. And the reality is it makes the idea of growth feel heavy. If growing your team means chasing down more money, constantly more and more, then deep, deep down inside, that actually makes most people anxious. And let's just be real for a second. One of the toughest things for me about growing my organization was the weight that I felt, making sure that I could pay the salaries and offer the benefits and keep the programs going to have the impact on the young people that we were working with. That weight would keep me up at night. So if in our minds and in our hearts, we associate growth and expansion with the friction and the weight, and for some people, the anxiety of finding and chasing new money, there will always be a drag effect. That drag effect, that internal narrative of, if I hire a new person, my burn rate goes up. If I build the team that we actually need, that's just more money I have to find. I had to really work on that narrative because it's always going to make you a step slower in hiring, in growing, if you have that voice in your head. So instead, what if we thought of fundraising is the opposite of chasing. What if we got phone calls from new funders inviting us to apply? Or emails from people in our network asking to connect us to people they know that want to know how they can support our work? Or invitations to share our work at invitation-only funder convenings? What if you set up a fundraising system that drew resources to your organization rather than you always having to chase it. When I figured out how to do that, my entire relationship to fundraising changed at a fundamental level. And so did my funding. And I won't lie, the weight never went away for me. So I don't want to suggest that I'm going to walk through some magical strategy that will make the stress of fundraising go away for those of you for whom it is stressful. And that's not everyone. But if that's you, this is not a magic elixir. What I will say is that focusing on strategies that attract resources takes a lot of the weight off. It does a lot of the fundraising lifting for you. Now, the idea behind this framework is to leverage the power of the watering hole. In nature, watering holes are fascinating. They bring together all types of species that all share something in common. They need water. Now, instinctively, hundreds of different animals from all around can end up being in a single place together to get the one thing they all need, water. 
Now, metaphorical watering holes exist in our own lives too. Just like animals gathering around a water ho watering hole, we all share certain fundamental needs. The need to feel connected to like people, to be part of a community, to be informed about issues and things we care about in our world. Watering holes in the fundraising context are the places that meet that need for our ideal donors and funders. The conferences, the newspapers, the blogs, the podcasts, the specific social media platforms and physical spaces where people go to get their needs met, the information about issues they care about, to feel connected to others. So the most efficient and effective way to think about fundraising in terms of attracting new funders and donors is to find the watering holes of the people who have an affinity for your mission, share what you're doing, and get them to have the thought, I want to hear more, I want to learn more about this organization. Now, the framework that I'm going to walk through is organized around four attraction strategies that basically focus on watering holes, stages, pages, partnerships, and social. The first part of this framework, the first bucket of strategies is stages. These are places where you can broadcast your message and lots of people can see you. These are both physical stages, so conferences, workshops that you may um, host, uh, panels that you that you speak on, but they can also be metaphorical or figurative stages, webinars and podcasts. Basically, you are broadcasting your message for lots of people to see and hear you, broadcasting information so that when they see and hear you, they think, I care about that issue. I care about that mission. Oh, that organization sounds interesting. Tell me more. Now, early in my fundraising, I had a good friend and colleague who's growing a similar sized organization, but in a totally different area than mine. And I used to wonder at how she'd get calls from funders asking to learn more about her work. So I invited her to lunch and I just asked her, how are you getting funders and donors to just call you out of the blue? And I used to do that all the time. I did these quarterly listening tours where I'd sort of pick a topic that or challenge that I was really thinking about and identify three or four people that I thought were just nailing it and invite them to lunch. It's like a little sort of course that I created, like a little university course that I created for myself. Anyway, so this particular qu quarter, I was focusing on fundraising, expanding my fundraising network. And so I invited her to lunch and I was like, how is this working? And she explained that she had been speaking on a lot of panels at conferences related to her field and funders were in the audience. And she was also hosting workshops for the staff at other organizations, sort of grantee organizations of these funders, right? Other organizations that the funders were supporting because she was doing partnership, she was working in partnership with some of these organizations. And so doing informational, educational and skill building workshops for their staff. And so the grantee organizations were telling their funders, oh, we are going to these wonderful workshops. So they were just, these funders were just hearing about her organization's work right, and seeing her on these stages, workshops, conferences. That was like a light bulb moment for me. And this is why, as a side note, talking to people in your network is so important. You just learn things. There's a little bit 
of running an organization to me that felt sort of like being on the outside of lots of black boxes that you couldn't really ever see inside the the inner workings of another organization you're like how is that working like how did they have that staff conversation um and so i just got really into just asking what's happening you know behind the curtain and i knew that we had so much my organization had so much insight into topics that mattered a lot to funders so i made stages a part of my fundraising strategy I ran breakout workshops at conferences, I moderated panels, I spoke at funder briefings, and I began to develop a reputation in the funding world related to my issue. So for you to think about in the stages bucket, what conferences can you speak at? Can you be a keynote or facilitate a breakout workshop or moderate a panel conversation in a way that gets your issue, your organization, your work in front of people that would care? Are there online convenings that you can participate in? Look at what's taking place in the spaces that your potential donors and funders might be in and reach out to the organizers to see if there's some way you can add value. Think about relevant podcast hosts with something that could be useful or interesting to their audience. The key here is to think not about what you wanna share, but about what you have to share that both provides a platform for your organization, right? You're broadcasting from this, the proverbial stage and its work, and that is actually useful to the people listening. Are you seeing trends? in your evaluation data or in your community engagement that might be interesting to others? Are you getting insight or learning lessons about how you're part of the sector or how your issue is showing up in the lives of people? So that's stages. The second bucket is very similar, it's pages. So these are things like blogs, magazines, and other media, op-eds, articles, et cetera that a lot of people will see and that will shine a light on your mission and work. It's an opportunity to get a lot of eyes on your work, your issue, your team, your constituents, et cetera. So here, think about things like publishing an op-ed on an important topic. This is where articles, interviews in magazines and newspapers that are community-based could be really powerful. I actually went through the incredible workshop um, with the op-ed project, maybe midway through my tenure as an executive director and wrote my first op-ed as part of the rollout of our teen fatherhood initiative. And about two weeks after this first op-ed came out, one of my board members said, that someone in her firm that she shared it with, because obviously I sent it to my board to then, you know, gave them a nice tool to send out to their networks. Someone in her firm was really intrigued and could she set up a coffee for us? And that actually turned into a really incredible, both donor relationship and the launching of a new advisory council, which I was really excited about because I've been trying to figure out sort of how to break the veil of partnering with law firms in a really creative way. And so this person was super interested in this initiative and was like, hey, can I learn more? I was absolutely. So that's attracting, right? I didn't have to find this person. I wrote this op-ed and they found me. Can you write an article in a newspaper or magazine that your donors read? Where can you publish your program data 
to get it noticed. And this does not have to be fancy. Publishing on LinkedIn, for example, is blowing up right now. So that's pages. The third bucket is partnerships. And institutional partnerships in this context are intentional, structured partnerships with other institutions that have audiences made up of your potential donors. And think expansively here. One of the really exciting partnerships that I learned about early when I was a lawyer was the sort of legal medical partnerships. And they, I'm sure, feel fairly commonplace now, but in the 90s, they were pretty new, this idea of locating legal clinics, sort of one-stop shop legal clinics in the waiting rooms of medical facilities. Just, I, I was like, that's brilliant. And when I was at the Children's Defense Fund and we were trying to figure out how to get families, low-income families, to apply for the then recently expanded S-CHIP legislation, which was the first Medicaid expansion in like generations. And families, we couldn't figure out how to get in front of families. The Children's Defense Fund partnered with barbershops and bodegas and libraries, places where we knew families would be to just be in their spaces and to get them to sign up. So that same idea works with fundraising. And so getting in front of people who would care in ways that are authentic and meaningful. So, and, and so you want to think about partnerships and institutions really expansively, right? If you're thinking about corporate fundraising or corporate partnerships, a lot of corporations and even businesses have affinity groups, like internal working groups that are organized around identity or issues that people care about. Are there trainings and workshops or articles information, education, skill building that you can do that is authentic to what you do organizationally and that would be useful to those affinity groups and allow you to build a relationship with them, right? That's a partnership. So you want to think about organizations that are doing work that is aligned with your work, but not identical. So you don't want to be in competition for the audiences or the attention or the resources of the people in their audiences. What you want is an organization or institution where what they're doing, what they care about is adjacent to, is aligned with, is a good fit with what you are doing and what you care about. Now, the final bucket is social media. I think one of the mistakes that a lot of people make is that they think about social media as this monolith, right? We have to be on social. We have to be active on social. We need to post on social. And social becomes this big thing, right? Social means everything from TikTok to LinkedIn, which are really different platforms. And there's a lot of pressure. I talk to a lot of organizations that are really thinking, okay, do we need to hire a communications person? Should we get an intern? How can we stay present on social? And there's a lot of thinking about social engagement on social media platforms as everything from finding new donors to asking donors for money. So I'm gonna actually put a stake in the ground here and say, I do not actually think that it does most organizations, particularly those in the six figure range, 
much good to think about social media platforms as an asking tool, as a vehicle for asking for money, or as I teach in my accelerator program, a bottom of funnel strategy. I do not think you're going to get a lot of leverage thinking about social media as a way to ask for money. You ask for money and it works when you have identified the right people, you've built a relationship with those people, and you're inviting them to give to something they care deeply about. That's what works. And the problem with social media is it tends to be fairly superficial. And that's okay. It just means that you want to think about it as an attraction strategy or a top of funnel strategy, bringing new potential supporters into your world so that you can then build a relationship with them, develop a deep affinity based relationship and then invite them to invest or ask for money. So when I talk about the bucket of social media as one of the four attraction strategies, I am really talking about top of funnel, identifying and attracting new potential donors, not asking them for money. Now, as part of this bucket, and as part of understanding that we're talking about attraction, you don't need to be nor should you be on every platform. Each platform has its own purpose, its own algorithm, meaning how it chooses to share your content with people and its own energy. Those of you who have spent time on both Instagram and LinkedIn know that they are very different platforms. People use them in very different ways and the platforms themselves prioritize very different things. Like LinkedIn, for example, emphasizes early engagement and post quality. So you post something and the algorithm looks for how many people comment immediately. They care less about who is commenting. Instagram emphasizes who is engaging, how close you are to someone. So as you're thinking about who you're trying to attract, think about where they are and then be there. Are your people on TikTok? Are your people on LinkedIn, right? You may not wanna do TikTok if you are engaging a donor base made up of elderly people. I don't know that many elderly people on TikTok. I could be wrong, but that's just sort of a flip way of saying, start with where your people are and then be there. You do not need to be, nor should you be on every platform. So as you're thinking about fleshing out or brainstorming in this category, think about things like, do you do things that are training based or visual that you can create videos of and put them on YouTube or share them on LinkedIn? Could you use Instagram to get people excited about impact you're having in certain spaces visually? Are your donors on LinkedIn and you could create a LinkedIn newsletter to stay in front of them and share up to date information? LinkedIn newsletters are taking over. I'm a huge fan. So that's the framework, stages, pages, partnerships, and social. And as you're thinking about this watering hole strategy, finding where your ideal donors are congregating and going to those spaces, I encourage you to spend a little bit of time brainstorming in each of these buckets, and then just pick a few, what I call top of funnel strategies, right? A few strategies that you'll use to get in front of or get into these watering holes, build those out and go deep. And you'll start to see that you build this reputation that I mentioned and donors and funders start to know you and see you and want more information. So that's it for this week. And I encourage you to test out the strategy. Like I said, it was 
very, 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 very important in shifting and transforming both my relationship to fundraising and the funding that my organization received. I also invite you to apply for the Accelerator program. I've opened the door for spring enrollment. You can apply and learn more at richiebabbage.com backslash next level nonprofit. I will see you back here next week for more Mastermind. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. If you liked this podcast, I would also love for you to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you think that what we talk about here could benefit another leader in your life, please share with your friends. Finally, if you'd like more leadership in your life, you can sign up for my weekly five-minute read, Leadership Forward 321 newsletter. I send articles, resources, and inspiration every week curated around a leadership theme to help you lead your nonprofit better. You can sign up at richiebabbage.com backslash Leadership Forward 321. That's it for this week. Thank you for joining me, and I'll see you back here next week for more Mastermind.